0: Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with your host, Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers Podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics, including health, fitness, and training strategies, to name a few. If you enjoy the show and wish to support, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon or wish to make a one-time donation, please visit the show PayPal page at paypal.com. .me forward slash pod. Links to both of those can be found in the show notes. Also, consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform and on our video version of the show hosted on YouTube. For updates and notifications, please visit my social media channels at Zach Bitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. If you wish to sponsor the show or have any other questions or feedback, please reach out to me at HPOPodcast at gmail.com. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the HPO podcast. Uh, today's guest is uh, coming from uh, the other side of the ocean to chat with us a little bit about... Uh, a few different things, but uh, kind of the main topic I think is the, the, this flow state, or how you can get into these like states of flow, whether whether you are an athlete or someone who has a, a mentally demanding job, or you know just anyone really. I think this stuff is some useful stuff and really interesting stuff as well. So, so today I have uh, Cameron Norsworthy joining joining me to chat a little bit about that. Um, Cameron, welcome to HBO Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Zach. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's exciting always to talk to the different guests and uh, it's even a little more exciting when you have one that uh, has something that's really interesting specific to like a hobby or a passion of yours. So I, I, I really do want to chat a little bit about this this, this concept of flow and just kind of the ins and outs of it to a degree and see how it can maybe be applicable to just like everyday life as well as uh, some of the stuff I'm doing with like ultra marathon running and things like that. But before we hop into that, do you want to give our listeners a little bit of a background about yourself, kind of like what, what you've been up to uh, and what kind of got you to to be interested in, in this topic?
1: Sure. I started off as a, a, a tennis player, actually, a junior tennis player playing tennis for England. And I got injured and got depressed and uh, couldn't play what I loved to do, I wasn't allowed to do and sort of. ended up backpacking and traveling and and after a little while I found out that what I really missed from tennis was not hitting thousands and thousands of balls but it was actually those moments where I'd lose myself in the moment I'd go and hit a a shot down the line and I'd stop and almost be in awe of what my body had just achieved that kind of non-ego state of wow you know isn't that isn't that awesome um And that kind of deep absorption, where things just felt effortless, they felt easy, everything was just fluid um that's that's what i I miss the most and I kind of almost became not obsessed with the state, but just super fascinated in it and so I went on to study sports psychology and optimal experience and and so forth, and found that this this term where we enter the bubble, where we enter the zones, whatever. Subcultures have different names for it. Scientifically, it's it's called flow. And it can be somewhat confusing to, to really get a grip on or to really understand or to really identify with. Often we have these experiences and we all have these experiences. You know, flow certainly isn't this sort of elite state that only elite athletes or elite performers can get into. You know, we often experience mild states of flows almost daily and uh and this this state is i i became fascinated in how how we we don't look at it or label it or really appreciate it it just sort of happens and we often put it down to luck or we put it down to an egoic how amazing am i or or we just don't acknowledge it and in that sort of disinformation around it we lose the ability to really find it more frequently and um, so i I studied it for the last uh, probably 30 years now, and eventually set up an organisation to to study it, train people on it, and coach people to to find flow. It's called the Flow Center, and it's really sort of put my path, my life path, on, <laughs> on a very different direction. and uh, And now I spend my days uh, either working. Mainly with elite athletes and entrepreneurs, um, but people at the pointy end of their careers often trying to find that extra little something in that space of pressure. Um, So, how can I sort of perform under pressure? But we also do programs um, that help bring this into schools. Uh, You know, obviously, children when they're they're learning in that in in flow, they're able to to learn a lot faster. And uh, and you know, there's lots and lots of different benefits around that so we we do lots of outreach programs and so forth and uh you know that's really I guess my my story but Flow's also I guess offered me a a focus and a real direction um that's allowed to allowed me to add a lot of meaning to a lot of my actions and and bring a lot more joy into my life rather than just doing tasks you know whether it's the washing up or cleaning the house or whatever it is you know it kind of adds an extra dimension to to uh, to the actions that I'm doing in my day-to-day
0: yeah it is interesting I think especially when you get into some of these more like monotonous activities too where there's certain activities where they they somewhat self-entertain or kind of put you in this position where you're enjoying what you're doing but then there's other things like you know, answering a a ton of emails or like you said, like cleaning the house or something like that, where if you find yourself kind of in that rhythm or in that flow, you almost like say, Hey, that wasn't bad at all. I actually kind of enjoyed that. And it was otherwise maybe a, a tedious effort that would have been kind of associated with that sort of stuff. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about that, but I also want to just highlight, I think, um, cause you mentioned, uh, just like high-level athletes, as well as like entrepreneurs or like more business-minded folks, and I think the first time I actually came across this idea of flow was when the Golden State Warriors, one of the the basketball teams here in the United States, uh, was talking about using some practices, rel- like similar to this, uh, for some of their some of their players in order to kind of get in a rhythm on a basketball court, which I thought would make perfect sense. You know, if you're in front of a crowd, or like 20-30,000 people and you're shooting a ball like sometimes 30 feet from the hoop and you know if you can get into that state of like like you described with tennis uh you know you just probably gonna have a higher higher percentage of uh shooting percentage like crisper passes you know better better cuts on the court and things like that and around that same time they also started highlighting it with a lot of the tech companies in the bay area and kind of on the west coast as well so it seemed like it kind of popped up over on that side of the united states when I first kind of heard about it it was, was became familiar with in any shape or form. And, And then I just started kind of thinking like, you know, like I wonder, I wonder like when I first noticed that myself. And, and it's really hard to remember as far back as like you mentioned that a lot of this stuff I think happens to us without us knowing. And then the next step is maybe trying to channel that or learn how to get into it and stuff like that. So, uh, is that kind of how you, uh, how you came into it too? Was it kind of a, an, an observation type of thing or how did you first kind of come, come into it? Yeah, for me, it was very much a
1: personal exp- rather than reading about it or hearing about it. It was very much a personal experience that there was something missing in my life that I had that I no longer have. And there was this sort of void if you like, and, and I couldn't really put my finger on it um, until finally, you know, finally that I did. And it, for me, it was life changing to realise that oh wow, you know, I can actually find this not in tennis. I can find this in surfing. I can find this in da, 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 in lots of different activities. And uh, um, you know, we 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 hear commentators talking about it. You hear ath- athletes when they're describing their performances often after a game. You know, they'll talk about it, and and it will often be quite vague. You know, it will kind of be like oh man, everything was just on fire and I don't really know what happened. It just everything clicked, and I just, I just couldn't miss. I was just going and going and going, um, and it felt fantastic. You know, and there's this sort of absorption around flow that we we all our attention goes, and all our kind of faculties enable that. And in, in as part of that, our resources elsewhere get slightly depleted. So our normal kind of conscious awareness that's normally monitoring other things, time, self-consciousness, other scenarios, kind of get depleted. And and that's often why we don't remember it consciously. Because after flow, we're very conscious of the experience and we're trying to remember something that wasn't that conscious. So the conscious database, because the conscious has a a different subconscious and a different database that's physiologically um, encapsulated away from our our implicit system and our kind of more motor cortex and um, more kind of uh, hot um, system, if you like, that has a different database. And so, you know, we're trying to recall a memory from a database that we don't have access to. So often the the, the reports are very, I don't really know what happened, but it just felt, it just felt good. And there's this, um, when we look at flow, there's really, I, I think the, the two describing factors around flow is this absorption and then this sort of effortless control where we feel like we have a high degree of control, but it's not this kind of conscious control is, and I'm going to make this happen. And you know this is doing it my way. It's more, there's this, this sense of control that comes through us and almost like our actions feel like they're just happening. It almost feels like we're on autopilot. Which is why flow often gets confused with automatic behavior, or or, although it's not, because we're dealing with novel information all the time. But in that, there's this sort of effortlessness to our actions, where we kind of just let it happen, where we surrender to uh, the innate amazingness and brilliance of our body and all the training that we've done prior, all those myelin that's wrapped around our neurons, and we just allow that incredible biology just to do what it is much better designed to do. We get out of our own way. And we allow these actions to happen in a more effortless manner. And that kind of that absorption and that effortlessness together feel fantastic. And, uh, you know, and that's why I guess it's attracted so many people and um, it's certainly in the performance areas, you know, you talked about that, that sporting example, you know, when you're, when you're throwing threes or, you know, you're playing basketball and you're in flow there's this just lightness and buoyancy and, um, it feels like you, you can't miss. And, um, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful play. You know, athletes often talk about it as the, the, the Holy grail of, <laughs> Holy grail of States. Um, you know, and I I'm kind of against pitching it up as this sort of elite elusive state that we need to, you know, achieve at all costs and stuff. You know, I see flow as more of a very, natural internal state that ordinarily we're limiting ourselves from finding. So it's more, you know, where I come from in terms of the practical application of it is learning how to get out of our own way. So we can kind of, you know, we can find it.
0: Yeah. You know, one way I've thought about it and tried to explain it in the past too is like, it's usually when you have some of these tasks that you're doing, there's like steps involved and when you kind of get in that state of flow, it's almost like some of those middle steps just like dissolve or like kind of meld into one. And you just kind of like move right through that process. And rather than consciously thinking, okay, now I did this, then I did that, then I did this, and then I, this happened as a result, you just get good enough at doing it or routine enough at doing it that they do kind of blend in together. And that's when I, how I found it to be maybe a little easier maybe not easier but just more frequently find more frequent to find your way in there is when you start getting to that point where you're no longer thinking of each little step along the way and almost burdening your mind with with the stuff that you already know is that something that is kind of similar to what you hear as well or
1: yeah i, th- I think when we understand that when we're in flow we we think we act we behave in a very different manner than we do ordinarily you know like you know, take a training and performance example um or even two performance examples where we might have one performance and like you said it's very conscious and you, you know you, you do all your preparation your warm-up or whatever maybe in the match if we keep the basketball analogy going we're you know we're shooting and we're consciously aiming for the back of the rim and we're consciously aiming for that one centimeter at the back of the rim and we're, we're consciously proactively self-regulating our attention to kind of block out the noise, to block out the thoughts, the distracting, the what if, the inner critic. And we're doing really well to kind of um, to, to give ourselves the best chance of performing, but it's still a slightly contrived experience, you know, and all that, all that stuff is, is good. You know, don't get me wrong. That's all, you know, really good mental skills to be able to implement and use but we're still using that biological system that will always end up in that conscious performance, if you like, that sort of unabsorbed performance. And, and it may not feel as effortless as, as, as we can be when we're in flow. We might do good, we might even do great, um, but we're, we're gonna be falling short of our optimal experience. You know. So when we have a look at the neuroscience, we have a look at the physiology, we see that you know flow operates at a different level. you know our brain waves are slightly different. we have far more corticomuscular coherence, our implicit system or our hot system in terms of the uh, the, the dual cognition systems going on um, are, are much more fluid and uh, and generally there's there's this sort of fluidity internally from a physiological and neuroscientific point of view that allows us to kind of flip between you know, systems, allows the kind of sympathetic system to be exactly where it needs to be, but the parasympathetic system is much more modulated. Um, So the, you know, I guess the scientific signature, as we call it, is or the blueprint of our body is different. And so when we understand that, then we can go, ah, okay, so for me to be in flow, I've actually got to feel different. I've got to go to a different place. I can't just keep trying to push harder or do things better or do more. I've actually got to go to a different place. Um, and often that's why entering flow is a very different training just from normal performance uh, coaching.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about just kind of what role like adrenaline plays with this, because I think, uh, one thing you mentioned that I thought was interesting on your Ted talk was kind of around that, where a lot of times athletes or anyone for that matter is going to think of like a, a burst of adrenaline as a positive thing. It's like you get this jolt of energy, but in some circumstances that is probably potential where it could break you out of your flow because it's almost, it's not I guess it's not like uh um maybe even keel's not the right word for it, but kind of it's, it's it's almost too abrupt, right
1: yeah, there can be this, yeah, and I, this is a very individual process you know the the adrenaline brings in nephrine and it, it's amazing for getting us alert, you know, getting us amped, getting us pumped, getting our attention on the present, you know we kind of enter that mild fight flight freeze response where our body kind of goes right shut everything else down what's important right here you know let's face it um but it also comes with a slight rigidity a slight tightness you know and and that initial burst of neurochemicals and kind of the body going emergency emergency alert is great to get us present now but if we stay in it then we keep that tightness, we keep that over alertness, which stops that flexibility, um, agility, and that ability to kind of act moment to moment because we're the body's still kind of on hyper alert mode. So, um, and diff- different people have different thresholds, you know, and and different sports, you know, someone jumping off a cliff is going to have a different threshold from someone playing chess, um, you know, so. It's really quite an individual process as to how much it's a help and how mu- and when does it become a hindrance. But if you look at it from a more physiological point of view, it kind of activates that sympathetic nervous system, which is that kind of fight-flight-free scenario, which makes us go, ready, get ready. But we need that that arm of the autonomic nervous system to be modulated by the parasympathetic nervous system, the part of us nervous system that just goes relax let's just conserve a bit of energy let's do things efficiently let's move with a bit more fluidity and relaxation as we would if we're just walking around the house Mm -hmm. um so when that comes in you know we get the best of both worlds right we get this sort of alertness and you know we become very present and we have this sort of sensory experience we kind of get out of our heads almost but if we stay in there too long a pre our head starts to come in a prefrontal cortex and we start thinking about it and what if what will happen? Da, 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 and then we get stuck in our head um so for some people that can become a very very bad thing and for other people they can use that initial hit of adrenaline to then use as a stepping stone to then move into a, a higher performance state
0: mm-hmm. yeah my thought was just like the variance between sports with that too because if i think of just like an explosive sport like a power lifter or something like that where you know they probably have a lot of time on their hands leading up to like one real explosive movement. Where I mean, I'm not a power lifter. <laughs> I think our, you can tell, and my listeners obviously know that. But my thought is like it'd be super beneficial, like on a day of a meet, to be able to kind of be in a state of flow leading up to your actual t- t- time, like you say, pull the pull the weight off the ground. In which case, then you'd almost want to break loose and let that adrenaline rush come through as you spend those a couple of seconds doing that one abrupt movement versus say something like what I'm doing, running ultra marathons, where I think there's some benefit of being in kind of a state of flow leading into the event. So you're not getting too much anxiety and fear induced, but ultimately I think that that state is beneficial for these longer efforts in the sense that it just kind of helps you get to that end product without overworking your mind and overexerting your your mental faculties during uh during that long process and it just kind of keeps that 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 mental sharpness and focus longer into a longer event when you can avoid all the noise in your head so to speak in the early stages
1: Mm. and you know you've clearly got a, a very close relationship with with adrenaline in terms of you seem to know how to handle it in the sense that to be more specific you know how to enjoy it you know how to get the physiological benefits but for it not to uh, decrement your mental performance for most people when we get that massive kick of adrenaline straight away anxiety comes up you know we go straight to our head and it becomes this debilitating kind of I end up either fight flight freezing right I end up loose or end up running away or my body's sensations take over and i become this gibbering idiot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, (laughs) and, you know, for a lot of people, it spirals this sort of anxiety um, snowball of what if, am I good enough? Is it going to happen? Have I done enough? What are they doing? Is it going to be enough? Uh, Sort of questions. And, uh, and that can be really deep, you know, a, a really an energy sucker and a distraction from our performance. And, you know, it doesn't help at all. So um, if we can build a relationship like you have where we can kind of go, actually, all that physical arousal is really good. It's going to help me get through stuff. It's going to help. It's going to help me become more focused. Um, then we can really start to uh, invite it and evoke it and use it. Um But that's certainly a personal relationship, which I think has developed over time with people having exposure to it and learning how to take the good stuff from adrenaline and and not not allow it to uh, inhibit.
0: All right, folks, this episode of HPO podcast is brought to you by Bioptimizers P3OM. P3OM are probiotics that improve your digestion and nutrient absorption helping ensure your digestive tract and immune system stay strong and healthy. While many other probiotics on the market don't even survive your own stomach acid, P3OM is fully tested to make sure that probiotic strains not only survive in your body, but also don't compete with each other, so you're as protected as possible from the growth of bad bacteria and other pathogens. While other probiotics require refrigeration and often die in transport and on the shelf, P3OM doesn't need refrigeration at all. So if you're ready to check them out, head over to bioptimizers.com forward slash human. That's dot scom forward slash human. And by using promo code human10, that's H-U-M-A-N-1-0, you'll also get 10% off your next order. So two things to remember, bioptimizers.com forward slash human and promo code human10. All right, folks, now back to the show. Yeah, and I think I, I probably learned that the hard way because when you when you're doing endurance sport, a lot of times you get that shot of adrenaline and you almost leverage it too much. And when when it's a pacing type of tactic that you need to do in order to have your best day, too much of that too soon puts you in a bad position at the back end of the race. And I think, you know, just having those opportunities to recognize oh, when I have that situation where I get that burst of energy and my heart rate elevates and I run a little too fast for a little too long and I pay for it twofold on the back end, you don't want to do that again. So you end up kind of finding ways to to, to rein that in a little bit or harness it, I should say, maybe. And it almost feels like when you get to that point, for me anyway, when I feel that kind of adrenaline rush come in, it's almost like if I can harness it, it let, I, you can use it in a way where you kind of slowly release it out. And that's when I feel like I get into those states of flow the most is when I kind of like got to that point where I recognize the adrenaline is kind of on its way. And then rather than just having that, that big burst of adrenaline, you just say, okay, I'm in a good position right now from an energy standpoint, obviously, but how do I spread this out versus, you know, use it all up at once? And I think that sometimes maybe puts me into the flow state, which is just you know you want to hang out in that area as long as you can.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. You've uh, I guess a bit like a, a painkiller. You've you've learned how to uh, how to turn it into a slow release, D- <laughs> a dose it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not overdosing on adrenaline anymore.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, you know,
1: but being able to store it, you know, and and I'm always just fascinated and amazed by how incredible the mind and body is you know like we may not understand the science behind it and all the rest of it but if we visualize ourselves almost getting that hit of adrenaline and kind of going okay awesome I've got some juice here I'm going to store half of it over here and a quarter of it over here and I'm going to store a quarter of it up here and I know where you are and I'm going to release you later and then we visualize that and we later we visualize releasing it, you know, the the mind and body has this incredible ability to kind of match that in, in real terms and, um, and actually, and actually use that. So um, it's a great technique, what you've developed there of storing it. And, um, you know, there's a reason why doctors pump people full of adrenaline who are about to die or, you know, it, it, it allows the body to kind of, to overcome so much, distress Mm -hmm. um so it's an amazing chemical reaction that the body goes through so um it's one to be used with caution (laughs) as as you as you learn from the races Um, but yeah it can certainly be yeah and i I work a lot in the adventure sports arenas because i i just love adventure sports and funny enough with all my injuries for whatever reason they were some of the only sports i could do with uh with my injuries and uh fell in love with just being in the wilderness and being in nature and whether it's the mountains or the oceans or or jungles or whatever um you know i love to spend my time there and and adrenaline often comes with those types of adventure sports and there's risks being taken and so forth and you know a lot of the athletes that I work with have a really close relationship with fear um, and fear is certainly this sort of friend um, that that is invited and welcomed and and uh, and used and harnessed as you as you said um, to good effect and uh, and and it's a very different relationship than most people have with fear you know most people try and avoid fear at all costs or Um, or try and suppress it or diminish it or um, and it's in that kind of suppression rather than acceptance of it that we lose the power behind it
0: yeah that's actually an interesting topic too around fear and just like what kind of activities and sports and things are going to be more kind of tied to that to a degree and it's because for me it's you know if I'm out there and I make a mistake you know, I might just have a bruised ego at the end of the day. Whereas, you know, if someone like Alex Honnold goes out there and makes a mistake, it could be over for him. So having that relationship with fear, and I would imagine kind of a flow state when you're, you know, free climbing a a flat, flat faced wall, or, you know, mountaineering climbing Mount Everest or something like that, they're going to have like, maybe a little bit of an extra incentive to be able to channel that.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, a lot of, I do a lot of work in rock climbing and a lot of the stuff you see on TV is actually well within their, their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So it looks all this sort of incredible hard stuff, but actually they're, you you know, for those individual athletes, they're kind of, of course there's that, there's that edge there of, uh, I can't mess up here, I'm free climbing and, um, but there's, uh, but they also know that they've done that route, and you know they have got the capability to handle that route. That they're not doing something that is sort of pushing their limits um, from a technical point of view, or so that there, there is that kind of uh, fear that keeps them going. Um, and for some people, it's it's one of the reasons why they do it. You know, not for everyone, um, but there's a, <clears throat> you know, there's certainly a, relation, a re- relationship with fear that when you take risks, um, you, if you're doing it sustainably, you know, for some people, they grow up next to a mountain or they grow up over a waterfall rather than other people grow up next to a soccer pitch or a, a tennis court. And so when they go into those environments, it's very much the same for someone else who's going onto the the football pitch. Um, So they, they have built a different relationship with those perceived risks from day one. Um, And they, they're very much working within their comfort zone around those risks. So they, they're able to sort of balance that, the adrenaline that comes from the fear well and harness it as opposed for it to be overwhelming.
0: Yeah, I was going to. Ask about that too because it seems like the relative consistency of the environment you're in is something that, or I should say, the like the relative uh, um, familiarity with the environment you're in is going to play a huge role in your ability to kind of leverage like a flow state where. You know, you see these people doing these superhuman things like, you know, backflips on, on bicycles or, you know, in, in my sport, there's a guy in Kirlian Journay who's, he'll run on these like just ridges essentially of mountains where if he falls either direction, he's in trouble. And, uh, but you know, he was literally born in the mountains. Like his parents had him out there when he was like three years old. So he, he just doesn't really know anything other than that. And that familiarity, I think probably allows him to kind of leverage this stuff, um, that automatic cruise control kind of mentality that we talked about earlier, a lot better than someone like myself who you know, grew up in a city and, and was never running on top of mountains and still hardly ever do today. But um, yeah. So is that, is that something that you are interested in with this concept too? Is like, well, what is the person I'm working with relative experience with the environment they're trying to access this, this flow state?
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm certainly from a personal coaching perspective as well. There's, you know, for me, that's where it becomes really interesting. You know, that's where my challenge is when I come to help other people, you know, my challenge is, okay, how can I, how can I really make this work in their specific personal situation? And, you know, there are, there are nuances there. There's obviously, you know, a bulk of it is very generic, you know, and works for everyone, but really trying to, um, you know hone in and and get rid of my perspectives you know like you said like you running on the top of mountain tops there's just so much newness there you know there's so much information there that your mind has not computed so you're when you're running you know your your attentional bandwidth on the running is probably where it might be at 90 percent has just gone down to sort of 40 percent because a massive chunk is just dealing with that newness that newness that newness and and probably hyper vigilant about it because you know that newness is actually quite dangerous and whereas someone who's been doing it since day dot, most of that i guess sort of processing categorization and that all that kind of mental stuff is already done so they're they they're able to run that at that 90 percent intentional bandwidth which gives them more space more movement more margin for error and You know, I might come in with a perceived ability that that's really dangerous, and because that's where my perspective is coming from. But from the other person's perspective, it's not a thing. You know, so really trying to work out uh, where that person is at, what they're doing, Um, and uh, you know, I've worked with quite a few people now who have also hopped sports or they've they've moved a different discipline. You know, they've gone from let's say. dropping waterfalls to slalom kayaking. Um, you know, so they're they're still in their kayak, but a very different type of sport. And, uh, you know, that's always really fascinating for me to kind of see how they can use their strengths and their previous experience in a completely different environment, but still use it as a strength and still use it as a way to find flow and work on work on areas.
0: Yeah. I wanted to kind of go to the other end of the spectrum too. Um, look at just kind of my own personal experience and ask you some questions about it as well. Because I think in, it was in 2019, I kind of had a bit of a breakthrough, I think, with just the way I practice this, because before then I would, I would say it was probably a little more intuitive in the sense that when it happened, it happened. I didn't give it too much thought. I just kind of looked at it as, you know, sometimes you get lucky and it happens more than others and you just, you know, be grateful for the times it happens. Whereas In 2019, when I was building up for some races, I started kind of using just this like mental strategy where when I would do my long run for the week, um, rather than just kind of going out there and saying, okay, I need to run say 30 miles in order to prepare for this this goal event and know that I need to, from a physiological and kind of a mental preparation standpoint and just a fuel fueling uh, practice type of standpoint, do those type of activities. uh, As I get closer to the event, I started looking at them as like, but like dress rehearsals, where rather than going out there thinking, okay, I'm running 30 miles today, it was I'm going out here and I'm going to pretend like I'm at mile 70 of this 100 mile race, and I'm just going to walk through what it's like to be at mile 70 and work myself to 100, because that tends to be a real difficult part of the course. I and mean, you've got so many miles on your on your legs already, but still quite a bit to go. So I thought, you know, practicing just the the mental side of that, or simulating, I should say, the mental side of that will maybe help kind of bridge the gap that you normally have uh, with some of these really long events where you can't really run the same, that distance in practice without doing the event itself. So you find yourself sometimes months, if not even times years between events. So uh, doing that, I thought really prepared me better for the event because when I got there on race day, it wasn't, oh, I haven't done this in six months. It was I've done this like six to eight times in the last two months in my head. So when I got to that point on the, on the day, it was just like, I reverted back to a much closer memory versus something that was in a distance past. Yeah. Well done.
1: (laughs) Um, I I mean, there's so much there I could pick up on and um, you know, some athletes are really good at, performing in training and performance environments you know you look at Usain Bolt or uh, they actually don't train as much but the training they do do is really relevant to their performances and so you're you're training your brain and your body to perform perfect perfectly in the environment that you want to perform in rather than working and thinking so much about all the foundational stuff and then hoping that translates to the performance context or environment. Mm -hmm. You know, and one of the the sort of flow skills we have, we call building the blueprint or creating the mind. And the brain is constantly visualizing whether we like it or not. You know, we're constantly, um, part of Bayesian processing is that we're constantly predicting the future, cross-referencing with our past and our database, taking in real-time information, visualizing what we might want to do, and then doing that. And all of that happens in like a split second. We're not aware of it, but that, <clears throat> that visual process is happening all the time. So we're constantly making these micro visions about what we're going to do. And for most people, creating those visions of us doing something in flow, we never do. So we rarely find flow. And in that situation, you've gone. I'm going to visualize and persuade my mind and body that I'm at mile seventy, you know, or mile hundred or whatever. And uh, and so you've you've then created those neural connections. You've created that deep level of training in that in the mind and body to to run at that state. And you know, and that's super important to find those areas that you're going to find stressful or you're going to find difficult and then practice them. You know, when I used to play tennis, I used to, I used to occasionally go over to Florida to play uh, some tournaments there and it was hot and and I would go into the sauna and I would practice doing tennis shots and workouts in the sauna to get ready for the the 40 degree heat. Um, And I would persuade my mind that I was, playing tennis, even though I was in a sauna in South Carolina and, you know, and um, that old adage of fake it to make it. And, um, you know, there's a great story. I've forgotten um, his name now that you'll probably know, but this, this runner from Australia way back in time, I think it was like a three day race. And he was a a farmer um, who was used to sort of chasing sheep with gumboots Uh, and he he sort of came up at the line and with all these incredible athletes uh, there was this sort of strategy where people would run sleep run sleep run and uh, and he went out there and just imagined that um, there was this massive storm coming and that he had to herd the sheep quickly before the end and he did a he did a sort of two and a half day run without sleeping and ended up you know winning the race and and that that sort of power of the mind, where we can train ourselves that actually something else is at foot, and the body needs to respond. Um, and if you can do that in your training, you know you can sort of imagine yourself serving at match point, even though you're in a, a training situation. Or you can you can practice your running, imagining that you're you're halfway through a race rather than at the start or whatever. Um, can really pay dividends um, and train your your mind and body to be comfortable in the uncomfortable when that situation happens.
0: That's really interesting. I think uh, the, the next, my next thought is just like, how is this transferable to, uh, you know, some of that more everyday type task for like, you know, someone who isn't competing in a sport at like an elite level, but they do have a demanding job or they, they do have, um, you know, a set of monotonous skills to get through for out, from time to time during their workday. Is the kind of the process or the setup for you as the coach similar in that situation? Or Are there different kind of tactics or different like angles you need to kind of approach with someone who's who's looking to use it for just kind of day to day stuff versus like high performance type stuff? I
1: mean, there are slight differences, but. <clears throat> Essentially, much of it's the same, you know, and an athlete entering a really important competition, we wouldn't blink or question them professionalizing their preparation. We wouldn't question them spending a lot of time managing them themselves before they go into that event. But we would question ourselves Having that same professionalization to our preparation before cleaning the house, you know, it, it would it would seem odd, <laughs> it would seem <laughs> weird. Um, but why? You know, if we want to perform at our highest, if we want to enter a state of flow um, and feel that effortlessness, are we? Can we really just expect our mind and body to kind of deliver that on cue? you know okay you know we'll wing it and occasionally it might happen um but why would we professionalize our preparation before a massive important event and not do it before an event that's important to us but really not it's it's quite menial so i think taking that adage and kind of going okay um you know and the same goes for sort of assistance with it you know most for example most elite athletes have their own sports psychologists you know the ones who are earning lots of money have their exclusive one who's travel with them um but yet most people who aren't in that elite environment can't justify to themselves to get a a performance coach or a life coach or a flow coach or whatever um and, and you know, I'm kind of like, well, well, why? If you want to bear the fruits, regardless of whatever domain you're in, you need to have that same setup, right? You need that same, that same guidance. You need that same professionalization for your preparation. So taking that, you know, cleaning, <laughs> cleaning that, I don't know why that's come up today, but take that scenario, you know, if we professionalize our preparation, we go, okay, right, let's give myself a challenge here. Uh, I've got an hour and a half, but screw that. I don't want to be cleaning for an hour and a half. I'm going to get this done in 45 minutes. I'm going to put on tunes that make me really motivated. I'm going to have a very clear plan here about what room I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. What am I going to start with then and what I'm going to do next? Um, how, how do I know I'm doing well? If I've done two rooms by 20 minutes, I know I'm on track. Okay, great. You know, And then spending a bit of time to get into this sort of effortless fluid place state of mind We've diffused my thoughts, maybe getting some of that adrenaline that we talked about earlier on board to kind of make us go, you know, most people wouldn't even think about doing this for the house. Right. Um, but if we do, we can clean the house and actually get to the end of it and go, okay, that was pretty fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even though it may not be something we want to do. So a lot of it is very much the same and changing our mindset that it's okay to do that professionalization of our preparation for these day-to-day tasks. And um, yeah, there's a quote by Csikszentmihalyi that I always love, which is um, the the sum, I'm gonna bastardize it because it probably isn't the the same quote, but the essence of it is that the sum of our subjective experiences determines the quality of our existence. And the stream of this existence determines whether our life is, for, uh, is a life worth living or not. So, you know, when we look at our, our life and the, the, the quality of this life, and when we close our eyes for the last time and we look back and go, did I have a good life? You know, what determines that is this sort of our subjective experience throughout. And we might pick out highlights of those moments but it's also made up by thousands of micro subjective experiences. And so if we can start to prioritize that subjective experience throughout, then we can start to go, actually, hang on. My experience is really important. So whether I'm going into a world championship race or whether I'm cleaning the house, they're both experiences, both of them are important. How do I want to do that? Do I want to do it begrudgingly, uh, you know, at half-mast and have an experience that's dis- dissatisfying, or am I going to swap things up, change things up, and try and make every experience not just satisfying but but beautiful?
0: All right, folks, I have a quick message to share with you. I have partnered with Purpose Performance Apparel to create a signature series of athletic gear. We have some great options which include singlets shorts and t-shirts purpose performance apparel was my choice for a signature line because of their patented hyper mesh material what makes hyper mesh really cool is it remains cool and still feels light as a feather even when you sweat in the hottest environments so you can take this gear to the gym outside or even stay at home to do your workout head over to my website at zachbitter.com, that's Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R.com. Scroll to the bottom of that main page and you can link over to the store and check out what we put together. I also have 10% off discounts for anyone who's interested in purchasing any of this stuff. Uh, So once you head to the checkout, enter Zach10, that is capital Z-A-C-H and the number 10 for the discount. Thanks for checking out, folks. And of course, let me know what you think now Back to the show. Yeah, that's interesting because when I think about that, like what you just described and my own experience with things relative to that, I always find like if I take the time, um, which sometimes, you know, when you're when you're away from the situation, it's like, well, why do I do that? It's not really necessary where like you sit down and say, okay, these are the six things I want to get done today. And this is the order in which I'm going to do them. And as I do them, I'm going to check that box off on the list. And I always find that even if that those six things are like relatively boring stuff compared to what I could be doing in in other circumstances, I find just like that kind of that mindful preparation and that kind of order of events procedure is really inducing to make what you just described happen. And when I don't do it, it's almost like at the end of it, you just feel like it's cluttered, like your day was cluttered. You may have even finished the same task at the same level, it just, but you didn't have any organization to it. There was a lot of clutter to it. And then in your mind, it looks more like garbage. Whereas when you had that nice kind of clean approach in your mind, it looks organized. It looks finished. It looks like, like complete, I guess, is maybe the word I'm looking for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well put. And I, you know, I, I tend to think of, I've you know I've I've had a few near-death experiences from being held at gunpoint to jumping off cliffs and so forth and I, I really value in in my psyche I've really valued the preciousness of each day you know the the time that we have to me is really really important and valuable so I kind of look at every day as the uh, you know, as the analogy I used earlier of closing our eyes for the last time is like a, a whole life, and just getting to the end of the day, ticking the boxes, and finally getting to that glass of wine and that Netflix, and then passing out. You know, don't get me wrong, I I do that as well, um, but that isn't high quality living. You know, like what what's the point? <laughs> what's, um, there's way better existence out there, and. Um, And so if we can kind of look at just take every day one one day at a time for what it is, if when we close our eyes at night, have we what what's the quality of that day been? Have we been able to do those six tasks, but have a cleanness around it, a kind of a space where those tasks has has given us energy, where we can look back with pride and we can look back and went, yeah, they were they were fulfilling. You know, there's this sort of there's so much in the world and what I see and hear, there's this kind of reach for performance and happiness. And, you know, if I reach high performance and I reach happiness, then I've made it. Um, But, you know, what, what I sort of see around and what research sort of dictates is that more fulfillment enrichment place, you know, that comes from a, an optimal performance or comes from a, um, of rich experience is is really what makes us smile when we you know close our eyes when we go to sleep at night so if we can try and find those spaces within those moments of our day-to-day um you know it's it's uh, it radically radically changes our life and taking that time as you said just to clear your mind and <clears throat> there's lots of sort of Skills out there, and lots of amazing people doing, like yourself, doing amazing things, and um, and communicating some of these messages and preparation techniques, and and uh, you know, and certainly my focus is a little bit more around flow and that kind of enriched experience of effortlessness, and if we can kind of move our mind towards experiencing that in our work, in our emails, in our washing up. In our training, in our world champion performances, Um, you know that will really build a a solid framework for the mind and body to to seek out those our self doing things in flow more frequently.
0: Yeah, your your examples were were uh, interesting to me because I think of like it sounds like it's a practice in just trying to make sure you're not taking anything for granted. And if you can do that, or the better you can do that, the more likely you are to find yourself in a good position with this sort of stuff. And like, uh, I mean, most people can probably think of a situation, maybe not directly to them, but uh, where like someone close to them dies, or they had like a a traumatic experience, and they start reflecting on things and they're thinking to themselves, uh, you know what, maybe I should be more appreciative of like, you know, being able to go to the movies or something like that. I think, I mean, it's probably a perfect time to talk about that sort of stuff with the pandemic and everything where a lot of like routine activities that, that, you know, are fun and enjoyable to you, but you just kind of like get numb to it to a degree where once it's taken away from you, then you realize how much, how much enjoyment you actually got from that, but you weren't necessarily getting the physiological response of that enjoyment on your, when you, from recollection because of, uh, just the the lack of appreciation over time. So my thought is then it's like, it seems like maybe like step one for a lot of folks is just take, take a, a little bit of time at the end of the day and maybe start with like reflecting on three things that you were appreciative of that day and then follow up with three things you want to have happen the following day to kind of put yourself in a position to put that routine in place so that you're more likely to be able to build off of that in a way that you're in a position where what we were talking about before.
1: Yeah. Gratitude is a, is a really, you know, beautiful tool to kind of put us in a nice place. And, you know, I've been in those situations time and time again, where on paper, my day has been amazing, but I've kind of looked back and kind of felt, I don't feel like I'm on top of the moon or, you know, just sort of, it's another day. Um, and that kind of disconnect, I guess, from our our day is why, you know, one in four people, you know, are having mental related illnesses and depressed and depression so rife, and there's this sort of dissatisfaction with life, you know, and a lot of us blame it on this treadmill on the, the need to work constantly in jobs that we don't enjoy and um, cards that we've been dealt that we're not happy with and um, you know, there's lots of reasons as to why we can't feel good about our day, you know, but I look at some of the research, you know, or, or reports from, you know, the man's search for meaning, you know, is a great one, someone in a concentration camp, who was able to kind of reflect and experience the quality of each of, of his moments in each day, or, you know, some people, some people who have reported the highest um feelings of being in flow affect uh, people in factory workers you know when they've come to sort of rate their daily task as important we can start to go okay w- let's make this a good experience regardless of what we're doing you know and um and and that is a that's a radical shift and gratitude puts us in that place to kind of go actually My experience is important. What I've, what typically what we're most grateful for when we write those journals, is typically the the rich experiences, that connection with a really good friend, um, a connection with our our sport when we've just nailed it, um, that kind of rich, deep experience where we've surprised ourselves by what we've just achieved, um, and those sort of deep engagement those deep engagements is often often what we end up coming up in that gratitude, um, as well as acts of kindness and so forth. And, and, uh, and for me that, you know, that is a totally different dial. It's a totally different direction signpost than or what normally fills my brain every morning when I wake up, you know, it's normally that when I wake up, my brain goes productivity list, what have I got to get done? You know, and I, yeah, I got to personally reset every morning and kind of go, nope. My signpost is about quality of experience today, and uh, and you know, I feel most people are in the, the exact same place. So, um, you know, resetting that dial, um, especially during pandemics where we can't get out and do the distractions that we enjoy so much. Um, you know, it's it's to use this time as a total game changer um is you know is a huge opportunity
0: yeah I know that makes makes sense uh this is this has all been really kind of interesting to unpack with you for for a while Cameron I want to I want to maybe kind of switch a little bit here and end with just uh maybe some actionable items or, or maybe maybe I'll start with this question is like because I can't appreciate that perhaps this is very individual to each person and there's no real specific uh Order of operations that kind of carries over from one person to the next, but is there kind of like a general scaffolding you use as a coach on the individual level, where regardless of who the person is, you go and thinking here's these here's some some bullet points that we're going to center things around, and then their individual experience and their individual like goals and tasks are going to what kind of fill in the gaps?
1: Yeah, for sure, um, <clears throat> absolutely, and um, I think. What we've just talked about is prioritizing our experience, you know, and the quality of that experience for most people, you know, we can intellectually get it, but actually putting that as the number one focus in our life is really difficult. You know, we'll come up with a million excuses as to why that can't be um, and why that's a luxury and why that shouldn't happen and so forth. Um, So, you know, that that's really important to have that as a notion or an underlying intention. And then um, before we go to do activities or um, maybe it's a, 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 an important event, you know, we'd be thinking about that important event days, weeks, months beforehand, just sort of thinking about it. If we can put on what what we call like a flow mindset, which is a very different mindset from a, Um, achievement mindset or um, a winning mindset or uh, it's more akin to the growth mindset that Carol Dweck talks about but very much around embracing the challenge uh, coming from a place of learning and growth um, and development of ourself and uh, and really coming from a place of what's going to motivate me the highest how can I kind of increase my motivation and um, how can I be my optimal self in this event? So instead of how can I win? How can I uh, impress others? How can I get my PB? instead of those types of goals, having a more flow mindset in place of how can I live out my optimal behavior in that event? How can I find that level of internal congruency and harmony and flow in that event? So if we can add on that flow mindset every time we think about the upcoming event and, you know, leading into it in the hours before and the minutes before, you know, makes a massive difference to priming our body to be able to find that in that event. Um, and then I guess the two more stages we often talk about. So that initial flow mindset, then this kind of self-regulation, this, this preparation um, where we, where we, without going into too much detail, but there's this sort of diffusing our thoughts, this kind of more mindfulness approach to kind of just disconnect us from all the chaos that's happening in our consciousness. And then visualizing that flow experience, like we talked about earlier, building that blueprint. So we're really primed, we're telling the mind and body, this experience, I'm going to be in flow, nothing else. And then lastly, coming to a place of trust deep mind body connection where we're 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 letting it happen rather than making it happen and you know really a lot of that boils down to trusting ourselves to deliver moment to moment and getting out of our own way and if we can really just focus on that you know I often have a a phrase which is just let it flow, let it flow, let it flow, let it flow. Where brainwash myself, let it flow, let it flow, let it flow. I kind of brainwash myself to trust myself to act moment to moment. Um, you know, so I've said quite a few things there, but even if you just take one of them, whether that's prioritizing your experience, putting on that flow mindset, um, <clears throat> building that blueprint of flow or coming to a place of absolute trust, or just using that phrase, let it flow. Let it flow. Let it flow. Um, then um, you know that it, it, well. Hundreds and thousands of people have found those things really, really useful. So, just embed one of those things and uh, and and see what results you get.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I think when uh, when I think of some of the stuff we talked about, and then I think step two or phase two that you mentioned, it's almost like you have your list of things you know you need to do and you have them in order. But when it comes time to do them, you do need to kind of be in the moment or working on that one without necessarily thinking about the next one. So if I'm on, you know, task two of six, and I'm dwelling on, well, I got to get to four, or how, how am I gonna get to five, then it kind of breaks me out of being in that moment. So you can't let that order and that, 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 that planning ahead kind of get in the way of the flow either, even though it's kind of part of the process.
1: Yeah. Sucking vital energy, you know, when you're breaking your race down into, you know, mile one to 50 and then 50 to 100. And if you're thinking about mile 200 at mile 50, you know, you're 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 losing vital energy just sort of seeping out the back there. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know. I mean, when I think of my worst races, it's always ones where I'm like dwelling on the finish at, at, at the early stages and having a hard time breaking, breaking that that thought process. So it's like the easier you can break that thought process, I find it, the the more likely you have a successful day. So it makes oh. perfect sense to me. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome, Cameron. Well, if there's anything else you want to share, we certainly can. Um, but otherwise, if not, uh, you want to share with the listeners where they can find you?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, theflowcenter.com is uh our website um you know my name cameron norsworthy you can just type into google um and uh you know sort of check us out and uh we run various uh, training courses or more personal experiences um for people to get involved both at a a sort of a self-paced accessible level and then a more advanced um course available so um We'd love to see you at the Flow Center. It's an amazing group of people from people of all walks of life and incredible athletes on there. Um, And uh, there's over sort of 15 world champions on board who, uh, you know, I'm sure people can learn from as well. Um, But I'd love to uh, end with um, maybe hearing one of your flow experiences during running and uh, where you feel you've really, really hit that effortlessness.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, I've told the story of my hundred mile, 12 hour world record quite a bit. So maybe I'll pick a different one and give someone some new one. There was actually, is it actually the same year I was doing this race called the JFK 50 mile and I had done it two, two times prior, like when I first started ultra running and I had just had really bad days. So it was like, I kind of had this opportunity to, to go out there and I wasn't even particularly fit for that course, but I went out there kind of with confidence and this mindset of like, okay, I can, I know what this course is like. I know where I made the mistakes last time. Uh, I I think I can, I can plan it right and do it right. And rather than kind of getting ahead of myself and trying to overreach in the areas of the course, I knew I wasn't like ideally prepared for, I focused in on the spots of the course that I knew I had the skill sets for at that time. And, uh, I hit, there's a section of that course where it's a basically like a flat marathon on like a gravel, uh, towpath along, along, uh, um, along a river. And I remember hitting that spot thinking like that was one of the best time, best spots I was able to just kind of go like one mile at a time running within myself. Cause you always know, like there's a limit you probably shouldn't cross from a pacing standpoint where you're just gonna, you're gonna overreach what you're capable of, um, but like being able to stay right up against that and not overthink like what could go wrong. If you're, if you are overreaching a little bit, uh, and, and not do what I was saying before, start thinking about the end. I, I felt like I kind of chunked that race really perfectly. And, and that section of the course, which had been a struggle for me in the past, just like flew by and my splits were faster than I thought they were going to be. And I that. It kind of just fed into the final stage of the course. There's the next eight miles, which is like a rolling, uh, rolling Hills. And when I got to that part, uh, you know, my, I started kind of reimagining what I was able to cover that territory and based on just like feeding off of what had happened in the previous spots. So that's one that I, that kind of stuck on my mind where I just felt like things were clicking and, uh, I couldn't really make a mistake. I, every decision I made was like, okay, that was the right move in this such situation. And, um, even though it wasn't my, my goal event, it was interesting to me that it kind of played out that way.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And what, what do you believe if you kind of look back and post analyze it allowed that to happen more than you just perform well, but not get to that, that flowy place?
0: Yeah. I think some of it was probably tied to, you know, I had a a few breakthroughs that year. So before that. And it was, they were on kind of two different, two different areas. I had won the the San Diego hundred mile, which is kind of a semi-technical kind of trail, like mountainous type course. And then, um, not crazy mountain, but like enough to consider it that. And then later that year broke the world records at hundred miles in 12 hours on a, on a 438 meter track. So like, I was really confident that I had like a pretty wide range of skills at the time even though I hadn't necessarily picked that particular race to, to train for. So I think what that ended up doing actually is it eliminated a lot of the stress and anxiety that would normally come with the traveling to the event, you know, the getting yourself ready the day before, you know, waking up and going through the paces that you need to do to get ready for the start of the race. It made that part of the process really much smoother, I think. Um, so then when I did get to the the start of the race. I think I just had a lot more kind of like mental energy and focus to be able to kind of, uh, dump into that 50 mile race rather than using a lot of it up in, in the lead up to it. If That makes sense.
1: It absolutely makes sense. Yeah. You know, there's so much, um, the the usual preparation for people is this tumultuous kind of up and down experience where we're feeling excited and then kind of no 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 conserve and constrained and and we just sort of deplete energy and it's quite stressful so then when we actually come to the performance and we've been doing this Mm -hmm. you know to try and hit there consistently is (laughs) really difficult we normally need to sort of find our way in the performance and to lead up to it, which is why a lot of people don't find flow in their events until halfway through it or towards the end of it. Mm -hmm. And um, so to be able to have that smooth ride in um, is going to really set people up. And, you know, part of uh, this idea of effortless behavior um, is, is not so much focus on sort of focusing on being effortless is actually this sort of void of concern, this sort of absence of worry about losing control, or this absence of worry about having to do things a certain way, and sounds like that confidence really gave you that um, that space to not have those worries or concerns to allow you just to go out and allow your body to do what it is obviously you know designed and trained to do really well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of you You want you want the confidence so that you're able to eliminate a lot of the noise, but also have the awareness of like, you know, where are the right spots to to really push and where are the spots to, you know, be a little more conservative. I think that's, you don't want to be overconfident at the point where you outrun your, or I guess in my particular situation, outrun what you're actually capable of, but also have the confidence to know like, where is my limit? I'm going to be bold enough to go up to it today. And that that is... really cool spot to be in for sure
1: yeah fantastic thanks for sharing that zach
0: yeah absolutely and and thanks again cameron for for coming on the show i'm sure the listeners are gonna uh have a lot of takeaways for whatever activity is they want to kind of dial in a little bit whether it's everyday life stuff or a, a hobby or activity in this in the sporting world so um we're all thankful for your time
1: my pleasure Great to hear people. If they do want to uh, find out more, um, our centre is the Australian English spelling, uh, C-E-N-T-R-E. So I think there's another organization like us that are focused on hypnosis that's er at the end of it so uh,
0: okay yeah 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 you know what i was actually when i was looking when when you first when we first got connected i looked up and i think yeah there's a place in dallas that i think does like (laughs) you're right that's uh, the er but i'll I'll put a link in the show notes folks too so if you want an easy way to click on over to it you can just head over there and uh and and check out uh cameron stuff at the flow center
1: stuff Awesome. Well, great chatting, Zach, and uh, speak to you another time.
0: Yeah, take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider checking out my website at zackbitter.com or my social media channels at ZachBitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. You can also support the show by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to send me an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.